0: Get up, go to your windows, open them, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Things have got to change, How many first. You You've got to get mad. I know it goes to Louisville and Atlanta. we we're not going to take this anymore. Then we'll figure out what to do about the depression and the inflation and the oil crisis. But first, get up out of your chair, open the window, stick your head out and yell, and say, I'm as mad as hell. Anymore. Who are you talking to, huh? CGG Atlanta. Are they yelling in Atlanta, huh? Are, are they yelling in Atlanta, Ted? But first, you've got to get mad! You've got to say, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! They're yelling in Baton Rouge. God damn it! Get up, get up, get up out of your... of a bitch! We struck the mother low! Stick your head out of the window, open it, and stick your head out and keep yelling and yell, I'm as mad as hell! I'm not going to take this anymore! Just get up from your chairs right now. Go to the window.
1: Welcome to this edition of V-Radio. I'm your host, Neil Kiernan, also known as VTV. So um, I've had to take breaks back and forth from activism recently just because of how crazy everything is. And there are a lot of people who think that they're mad as hell and that they don't want to take it anymore. Um, I think that one of the problems that I'm having, being a left-leaning independent, is that I don't always agree with absolutely everything that the people on the left say. And I certainly I don't always agree with everything that people on the right say. And I only use those terms as a perspective of trying to help people understand generally what I mean. But I also tend to think that the right and the left are just like uh, packaged politic paradigms where we're supposed to automatically adhere to everything within those packages, even if those things have nothing to do with each other. I'm pro-gun rights but I'm also pro-welfare. You're not supposed to be able to do that. You know, I'm pro-healthcare. You know, it's just basically these things don't even necessarily have anything to do with each other and then we're being forced to follow a certain narrative. But that doesn't just end with some of the more obvious things. It also has to do with things like how do we react to current events? And lately um, I have been finding it extraordinarily difficult to speak to people on both sides And it's largely because of the fact that we are now in a state where things are so emotional that people are allowing their emotions to override their good sense. And I've studied this very closely and I've seen that there are an awful lot of people with agendas that see the circumstances of COVID-19 of the George Floyd murder and the subsequent riots and looting, et cetera, as an opportunity for them to bring their ideas to the forefront. Some of those ideas are good, some of those ideas are dangerous you know some of those ideas are not good and essentially I think human beings need to evolve and we're going to get into that Um, but there's an awful lot of crazy stuff being peddled right now as solutions and um, my guest today is Ray Powell I don't know like how many of my really old listeners are still around but Way back in 2008, I was initially a fan of a show called The North Virginia Patriots with Ray Powell. Um, <laughs> and now I uh, became a North Virginia Patriot for a short period of time during my Ron Paul you know, activism days. And that was when I befriended Raymond Powell. Um, you can see some great conversations between he and I on my old YouTube channel uh, in addition to some of my other podcasts. Uh, Ray, it's great to have you back.
2: Thanks, Neil. Glad you're still at it, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. This this situation definitely kind of brought that out. you know. And I guess to those of you who are listening, I want to be clear that part of what I'm doing here is just creating a circumstance where I can vent how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. So it's it should be understood that this conversation is meant to kind of help people think. It's not necessarily a declaration. It's not... You absolutely have to agree with everything I'm saying, you know, as I tried to put in the description of the show that we're going to pressure test the current narrative and examine things and just do what Ray and I typically do, you know, don't always agree about everything, do agree about a lot of things, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, I think that there are a lot of people out there right now who need to hear an intelligent Weighed conversation on what is going on right now and unfortunately I don't think there's a whole lot of intelligence going on right now (laughs) so we agree on that much that's for sure so Ray why don't you give me your views on current events I mean I I listed racism COVID-19 abolish the police I'd say those are still the three big things um you know, but obviously there's more where that came from. But, you know, by all means, just, you know, I've I've seen you have similar frustrations trying to discuss these issues on Facebook because you also are a person who's kind of gone all over the paradigm. I mean, when I met you, you were kind of a right, well, not kind of a, a definitely a right-leaning libertarian, you know, and I don't know exactly where you fall now, but you don't sound exactly like you did back then. And there's nothing wrong with that. Free thinking people should evolve. So why don't you share with the audience a little bit about your perspectives?
2: Oh man. Wow. That's a, that's a lot right there. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, libertarianism uh, is a great basis for a system of law, you know, and um, if you get hyper-focused on it, you can spend a lot of energy pushing that point. um, But it doesn't sell. It doesn't resonate with the masses, you know, Uh, because it's, is self-centered it becomes off about my rights and and me and 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 that and that kind of very self-centered kind of attitude and um that's because libertarianism doesn't really seem to um propose any way that seven and a half billion people can get along on the planet you know yeah like like it's a great basis for a system of law and to this day i i I feel that strongly It's, it's it's just basic natural law common law um, these, these principles of, of the rights of individuals and, and their property. Um, but, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't sell. It doesn't sell because it doesn't answer the questions about how do we stop the wars, how do we get along, how do we make sure everybody has their basic needs met. And so that was the evolution that I've had over the last 10 years, uh, 12 years or so even. But um, it's really understanding how we go beyond these principles and how we create conversations um, that can build on those principles into ways that people are thinking about how we build systems that do work for everybody. Um, you know, we're not gulps. gulch is never going to exist. <laughs> That's just a fact. Um, right. And well, I mean, you know, maybe it will in a pocket here or there, but um, it's 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 just not a reality. Nor nor will um, the the uh, kind of like. Communist paradise, that's never going to exist either. These are two kind of like utopian visions, I think. Um, but there are people who are all varying degrees of, um, of, of sovereignty, in other words, um, self-sustainable capacity um, that causes them to be less interested in what others think or, what, or meeting the needs of others or their emotional state of others or how they feel or how they were brought up uh, and just focus on really keeping it simple. Look, I'm going to take care of myself you take care of yourself and everything's going to be fine to the other end of the spectrum where people are, um, are very, you know, very socialized at young ages and, and just always enjoyed being around people and they're very empathic and sensitive to others and, and, care about others and, and, and enjoy the interaction of, of, of being, um, in conversation with others and in, in life with others. And, and those type of people are going to always lean towards, um, I guess a more left kind of attitude. And so you do have a fundamental, um, paradigm that, you know, or dichotomy, I guess you could say, I and mean, I even call it masculine and feminine, perhaps, um, of the two kind of um, underlying d- divisive divide, I guess I would say divide between people in these kind of conversations. And then you have this systematic means by which um, the powers that be in the world that have identified these things have identified these dichotomies that exist in people's personalities and forms of upbringing and, and the ways they lean one way or the other. And they've been able to um, be divisive and put people on a side and get them fighting vehemently against each other rather than saying, Hey, I see how you're different than me. And I see how you're different than me. And wow, I think we could figure out how to get along just fine if we understand that about each other, those conversations aren't happening. And the same thing is happening with COVID and the same thing is happening um, with with the Black Lives Matter stuff, there is no room for people to share perspective and say, "Oh, I see what you're saying. I see how your life experience has brought you to the conclusions you've come to, and I'm glad you can see how my life experience has brought me to the conclusions I've come to." So, this is, you know, above all, um, you know, to sum up what I what what's what's really concerning to me about um, the protests and the uh, well, more the more the the looting and rioting, um, the protests is nothing to be concerned about at all, but when it turns to looting and rioting and you have these problems, you have these complicated decisions that police officers have to make and that politicians have to make and, and how, when to send in, um, cops, when to send in national guards or troops and like all these things. I mean, it's just, it's such a, it's such a recipe for absolute divisive disaster in, in a violent way. Um, but the biggest, you know, the biggest thing that's, that's so conversation is that yes, the, the, the hypocrisy of the founding of the United States is, has created such a deep wound. while we were writing the, you know, the, the well, I say we, I mean, people who, who have a sense of, um, you know, descendancy from the, in the United States who are, who are born here, who, who, who find that they're, um, that they're here multi-generationally, you know, um, we founded this country on this idea of all men are created equal. And then at the same time we're writing that document, we're, we're destroying the, the indigenous culture. And for a hundred or more years after the writing of that document, we're enslaving blacks. And, you know, right. it, it just it, the, the hypocrisy of that and the wounds that that created has never been healed. That is real. That is absolutely real. And without that healing occurring, that leaves us open to the divisive tactics of those who would like to see the United States dissolve. And I think that those people who have that motivation are on the verge of doing it. And that's my biggest concern. I mean, there, I, I believe that it's completely possible for intelligent and normal average Americans, United States, when I say Americans, I mean, U.S. United States of Americans um, to come together and have the conversation and do the healing work without destroying our country because I just don't think like, like in a lot of ways over the last 10 or 12 years, I would love to see the dissolution of the United States. But in this kind of, in this, in this current state, I'm in, in this kind of more mature view on things, I really don't see good outcomes. If we do lose, um, if we do lose the unity um, between the States or between in our culture, if we, if we, if we acknowledge that we have split in in a political sense and we lose the economic power, the political power that has bound the United States of America together, I don't think we're going to like what happens after that. I think that the other powers in the world, um, China and Russia primarily come to mind, are going to that's – that's their dream come true. And there's no question that um, the Kremlin and the KGB and perhaps Putin himself and, and China are, have been making moves to see uh, the United States fall. And I can't help – uh, and names like George Soros come to mind, you know, who, who's openly admitted, to the best of my understanding, that he would love to see the United States fall. And he doesn't care about um, how his decisions affect of actual people, that it's all a political, you know, game of power and money. And he's openly admitted that. These forces would love to see the United States, the United States split and fall. And um, I don't want to see that happen. And I I think that there's very much a way we can have a conversation to acknowledge the hypocrisy of the founding of this country and do the healing work that's necessary to bring us together again uh, in a a whole new culture, healing with the indigenous, healing with the blacks, um, black people, you know, heaven forbid I say something uh, politically incorrect, you know, Uh, but, you know, I, I relate, you know, I found myself relating more to, you know, the underclass, which is largely non-white in this country, I, I relate far more to the underclass despite all the white privilege opportunity I've had in the world, and despite the fact that I've thrown most of that away uh, most of the time. Um, so um, I think there's, there's really a place where we can, we can heal the wounds caused by the deep hypocrisy of the founding of this country, and, and maintain unity and come together in unity, and not allow uh, the United States to dissolve. I, I just... I, don't want to see that. happen.
1: Well, you know, I would say that um, the things that bother me and I agree with you that I have concerns about what would come out of it. And it's not because of any issues with like, am I worried about how even specifically my family will come out of it? It more has to do with the fact that there are an awful lot of people right now who are making decisions um, and making statements about things that I don't think that they've really thought through. For instance, it's very difficult for me to be lectured by anybody who's never lived in the ghetto about what it's like to live in the ghetto. And that's it, not all of them, but there's quite a lot of these uh, college age types who likely are in school because mom and dad are paying for it, You know, who are a million percent more privileged than myself or my kids will ever be, who've never set foot in, a, in an actual bad neighborhood, who don't know what it looks like when a police department is underfunded, um, and don't know what it looks like when, like, the police department might have response times as long as two hours. The the power vacuum that gets filled, and it will be filled, is filled by other people who are willing to use force to impose their sense of order on your society, and I, I that's the part I think that bothers me the most is that we are now in this weird situation wherein people have deluded themselves somehow into believing that ghettos are peaceful utopias when there's no cops there. And that if only we got rid of the cops, people wouldn't be getting killed. And I I just, because a friend of mine had pointed out that the stats were bad, you know, but I went ahead and looked them up myself and I, about, So in 2018, 993 people were killed by cops. That statistic does not, I might add, does not pull out the numbers who were killed by cops that were legitimate. It's just flat out 993 people. As compared to criminals who murdered 14,641 people in 2018. And so it's not to say that by no means is any police shooting okay we want to try to get that number down to zero but it's as if people have forgotten that there are these people who make their living hurting people and yes there are definitely economic causes to that they certainly contribute but this is another piece of information that i have because i grew up in those neighborhoods i think that a lot of these people don't have which is that some of those people in fact a good majority of them you know, especially if they belong to an organized criminal syndicate, like say the cartel, um, which is bigger, I would say, in your area than in mine. Um, but, you know, organized crime syndicates come in all different shapes and sizes and colors. Um, and some of those people choose that lifestyle by choice, because at the end of the day, selling a crack rock makes more money than flipping burgers. And, you know, some of those people, I mean, that, this is another part of it, is that the ghetto culture itself, Right down to the music, you know, the the attitude, the, you know, the trends, you know, it literally venerates and glorifies violence and crime and murder and drugs and especially this is something I've always been confused about why the feminists can ignore this but misogyny and like uh, domestic violence are literally venerated and built into that culture. You know, they, they refer to women as bitches. I mean, that's just every single hip hop artist, you know, at, at least the heavy ones that you listen to when you live in those cities is extremely negative about women. And it just goes untalked about. And it, it, I guess the, the funny thing is, is that I'm finding myself in a situation where everything I just said is incredibly controversial. You're not allowed to talk about all that, you know, but most of my views on the subject ironically actually come from sp- the perspective of certain activists of color one of them was a police officer that i met at occupy detroit and one of the things that he said because he was a black police officer was that he got into the police because and he expected to see an awful lot of you know unjustified profiling and racism and what he found after even just like six months of being there was that he was actually arresting an awful lot of people of color who were very guilty um it doesn't mean again that we should dehumanize any of those people that we do have to acknowledge that there's a systemic system involved that is keeping people in poverty, but there's also a personal responsibility situation going on that nobody wants to address. You know, like I actually, I wish I could find the video. I think the guy deleted it, but he basically pointed out that, you know, he said that when you grow up there and he was right, like when I grew up there using big words or doing well in school was literally something to get your ass kicked for. Like, if you were trying to do what was necessary to get out of the ghetto, that culture rejects you. And the the people that live there, you know, like my sister grew up there from a very young age. And so her value structure is completely based on that. The boys that she chose to be with when she was younger, you know, she's got kids by like three different guys. None of them are around. They, you know, but that was what was hot. That was what was popular. That was what was you know, um, what people, what girls were told they should want and covet at that time, you know, and the reason I bring all this up and the other thing you'll notice is that I haven't actually mentioned race very much because it's true of everybody who lives there. The, The gangs are made up of all colors. And in fact, I ended up getting into more violent situations, I would say on average with the white kids who live there than the kids of color. And it's mostly because they were desperately trying to prove just how ghetto they were. So, you know, if they had an opportunity to pick on a white kid, then they jumped on it. And I think that's another thing that makes it difficult for me maybe to, to share my perspective is that a lot of assumptions get made about somebody based on their color. So as far as to what you can say, I took one of those privilege tests once just for the for a hoot, and I answered all of the questions completely honestly. And a lot of them were things like, have you ever been targeted for violence because of your race? Check. You know, where you went to school, you know, were the, the extracurricular activities entirely for races that were not yours? Check. You know, I just literally went down the line because I grew up in a neighborhood where racism against white people was so prevalent that they even allowed a black supremacist group called the, Is- the Nation of Islam to come to our public school and tell all the white kids that they were the marked race of Cain and to tell all the mixed kids that they were abominations, you know, this happened at my public school, and it influenced wow. a lot of the racial relations at that time. Now, thank God, Pontiac has changed a lot. Like my kid, I, I take my kid to Pontiac because it's the neighborhood I grew up in. we part of their wrestling team. But my point behind all this is, I also, and I'm almost done, Ray, and then I'll give you the mic back. <laughs> is um, I also lived in the South, where I remember very distinctly having friends of color that I had to play with in secret because the they were so racist down there that they would name like seeds and plants after racial slurs like there's a a certain kind of nut that comes off of a tree and it looks like an ear and it turns brown when it's ripe i think you could imagine where this racist concept is going there was another one it was a nut that looks like a toe and it turns brown when it's ripe you know so i've seen it in 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 all this full perspective And I think that the most dangerous aspect of all of this is that when you peel away the layers of the racial activist movements, they have some things in common. And one of those major things is, and this is something that Daryl Davis points out. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but he basically rehabilitates members of the Ku Klux Klan. He's a black man (laughs) who rehabilitates members of the Ku Klux Klan, including national leaders. And he does it by humanizing himself to them until they realize just how ridiculous racism is, and then they abandon it on their own. He collects their robes because he um, he wants to have a museum. Well, anyway, his system works, and it works on not just people who you're calling racist because maybe they liked a movie that you think is problematic. Actual racists, like would like to see all people of color driven from the country. He brings those kinds of racists back. And when he went to Baltimore and interacted with Black Lives Matter, they rejected him and even threatened him to never return. Wow. Why would anybody want to do that? Go ahead.
2: Well, yeah, the the conflation, I like what you said, the conflation of actual racists who really would like to kill and destroy another race versus people who kind of uh, just don't understand what it's like to grow up in the ghetto as a black person, conflating those two types of people as if they're the same level of racism and calling them both racist is really a, a problem. And I'd say that's something that's very prevalent right now.
1: Well, they don't—they don't understand that. Um, I, I'd say that these things—they grow off of each other. I guess would be the way to stage. Right before, I want to say it was towards the end of the Obama administration, I was watching a documentary about the Ku Klux Klan, and they were so pathetic that they were getting to the point that chapters of the Ku Klux Klan were talking about eliminating racism from their platform, and in particular because they couldn't get any interest anymore, and that they were going to try to make it more about being like a a group for... Um, American workers who don't like that certain people are exploiting the welfare system or something. In other words, we're talking about a Ku Klux Klan that allows people of color to join. That's where (laughs) they were at. And now we're in a situation instead where their membership is being galvanized. And I think that that's a reaction directly to perhaps not well thought out strategies on the part of racial activists, because one of the things I've kind of come to realize about this is that there are some primitive instincts that operate within the subconscious. And one of them is like a tribal instinct. And if you go up and get in their face and yell at them, you literally shut their brain down. They become less likely to listen to you. And this is true on both sides. So that's why Daryl didn't do that. Daryl doesn't like, you know, get in the faces of these guys and spit, you're this, you're that at them. He, because that doesn't work. It's not just that, that you, maybe it makes you feel better to to spew, "Yo, you're this, you're that at people, but it doesn't work. That, that's what it comes down to. It just doesn't. And when I've talked to, cause like in this little town near where I live, they started a little Black Lives Matter chapter in like Milan, Michigan, and I've watched as, like, these people are now believing that they're fighting the same level of racism as, you know, went on in the 60s. And, you know, honestly, there, there's probably some racism in Milan, but it's quiet, it's private, you know, people keep it to themselves. You know, they, nobody's not yeah. getting hired. Nobody's getting beaten by police. I mean, we're talking about a little quiet town. You know, right. and that doesn't mean that that's not a problem and that it shouldn't be addressed, but some of these kids literally, like... I don't want to use a term like LARPer in the derogatory, but that's what it feels like. It's like, you know, you're dealing with something, but it's not what you're saying it is. And the strategies right. that you're employing of getting up at people's faces and yelling and screaming at them, you're literally going to get the opposite effect of what you want. Exactly. Go ahead. Yeah,
2: Yeah. I mean, so this is kind of, you know, what I was getting at is that um the <sighs> the wounds are there. The wounds are there from centuries of real, real deep and, 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 and horrible racism. Um, those wounds have not been healed. And because those wounds have not been healed in our culture, we are, we are ripe for somebody to come along and, and rip cut the scabs off those wounds, rip them wide open again. And I, I, and I, I'm, I, I'm curious to your thoughts on this because it's very clear to me that that's what's happening, that this is not just – you referred to it as, as a bad strategy, right, like that they're just choosing – these activists are choosing bad strategy. You know, I don't – I think it's clear this strategy uh, is being funded. That, in other words, if you want funding, you've got to agree to this strategy and that the guys like George Soros are, in fact, doing exactly that thing.
1: Well, I felt that way, Um, whether it was Soros. I mean, we have to remember, we don't want to only go on one side of this. The Koch brothers are also just as dangerous um, and they tend to approach things from the right perspective. But uh, to to go back to um, Occupy Detroit and Occupy Flint, I was part of both of them. There was one distinct difference. Occupy Detroit was more or less infected with, very heavy social justice warrior thinking that eventually caused it to break into cliques those cliques started to fight each other and then it disintegrated and became very ineffective is as, as opposed to occupy flint which is in the same state same economic conditions zero social justice stuff became extremely productive was like a very friendly atmosphere Everybody worked together. And I remember, for example, because I was I camped at both places at Occupy Detroit. If we needed anything done, it was this big fight because, you know, well, if you're white and male, you're going to have to not talk very much because we need to be sure all these other people are represented. So even if you're absolutely right and they're wrong, you need to just be quiet because privilege, you know, and it would make meetings take so much longer and, and we would have to just go through all of these like various like oppression Olympics, you know, where they're all performing, you know, for their, their virtue signaling points and in Occupy Flint, we just got shit done and Occupy Flint was just as diverse as Occupy Detroit and Occupy Flint did eventually come down too. and I'm not saying there was never any inner strife because there was, but it never had anything to do with, are you trans? Are you gay? Are you straight? Are you male? You know, like, and that right. was, the, I basically kind of came to the conclusion that Jesus, this is like a perfectly socially engineered divide and conquer strategy to get us Bingo. all fighting each other, you know, That's and, right. and more to the point, and you can, this you is can Generically
2: encompass all that under the description, identity politics.
1: Right. And, and it's, but it's designed. It, this is an interesting point that Daryl Davis made and it came And it brought me back to my childhood, to where the Nation of Islam was recruiting in Pontiac. Daryl Davis explains that the Ku Klux Klan and the neo-Nazi groups go to economically depressed places that are predominantly white. And then they explain to all of those poor people that all of your problems would just go away if we could just get rid of this other group like literally tapping right into those tribalist instincts I was talking about. And the more primitive instincts you get, the less your brain is functioning. Right. Also, the more stressed you are, it's actually true that your IQ goes down by as as much as 12 points during that time period. Andrew Yang pointed that out when he was trying to advocate for UVI is that if everybody's stressed about money, they literally get less smart. And you make a lot of decisions that don't make a lot of sense initially But you feel it, so you start doing it. The more we become uh, in survival mode, it can have multiple different effects. I've seen positive and I've seen negative. Um, For example, Occupy did work a lot better when we were camping together because we all had a mutual goal of protecting one another. When the camps went away, then these sorts of identity politics became way more powerful because at that point, we don't have a unified purpose of keeping the camp safe, keeping ourselves, you know, safe from police or from local drug dealers, all of that went right. away. Now we're just attending meetings and now it needs to be about, you know, well, what my specific group wants. And I'll get yeah. into what Jack Fresco said about that later. But, you know, one of the things that was relevant to what Darryl Davis was pointing out was that they go to these neighborhoods where there's people who need answers. Why are our lives so terrible? And this is exactly what Nazis did. You know, they went into Germany and they convinced everybody, you know, your life is terrible. And if only we could just get rid of these Jews, everything would be fine. You know, and they I watch as you slowly radicalize these people to the point that now there are activists on both sides of the situation who would absolutely line line people up and stick them on cars and then go gas them. There's are on both sides. Now, what rang true for me with Daryl was that that's exactly what these extremist groups on the other side are doing in poor ghetto neighborhoods. They showed up at my school to tell these black kids, all of your problems are because of the white man. And if we could just get rid of the white man, you'd be fine. You know, and that people don't talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. And even bringing it up as a white guy is a great way to get excommunicated. That was actually an analogy that came to mind that I wanted to repeat while you were talking was that this has become a crusade complete with an inquisition that conducts witch hunts to find heretics who are guilty of blasphemy so that they could be excommunicated. Now, I don't mean any hyperbole here. It's the same no. thing. And if there's yeah, somebody yeah. within these groups, if you piss off one of the inquisitors, they're coming for you. Maybe you just oh, yeah. said something that you, they didn't like. It, it could be about something that has nothing to do with activism. And then all of a right. sudden, they're lighting up the, you know, the, the witch hunt, and they're coming for you. you know, and then That's you're going right. to get canceled. You know, I'm sure there are going to be some people who are going to try to cancel me for even having this conversation. I'm just to the point now where I just don't care anymore. You yeah, know, it's like you, we're,
2: we're, we're coming on here and opening our mouths. We're at risk already.
1: Right. And that shouldn't be necessary. I should not be. I should not be in a situation where I could be canceled because I'm making fucking sense. You know, that, that's what it yeah. comes down to. There are people well, who don't want us thinking. You know, and I, I want to make another point that occurred to me coming back to like what you and I would talk about on our show was the Patriot Act. You know, one of the, when we're talking about rioting and looting, okay, first of all, let, let me get back to that real quick and then we'll go back to it, is that um, when we allow the violence, we are being – this is another example of the kind of like false dichotomies and things that you get labeled with, is that – um if you don't like lo- looting and rioting, that means you don't care about George Floyd. I have literally right. never heard anybody say that. Nobody has right. ever said that that I have ever heard, not on the right or the left. Like even Fox News is because not saying propitious. that. That's an example of like, you know, it's an inquisition. You know, your blasphemy. You know, there are parts of the Bible that when they were, they would turn them on you because certain parts of them contradict each other. So you can trap somebody you know right and it's and the then after that you got him like,
2: because the because a couple of ku klux klan members stood up and said they they are for Trump all of a sudden Trump is now a, a racist for that reason alone right it's the right. same kind of reverse thing and you know
1: and you I, and obviously that, I don't think either of us are pro Trump but they lie about him so much that you can't even say anything truthful about him anymore you know right. the Trump people are now so desensitized that you can't even raise Legitimate criticism, because so much bullshit has been said about him that now That's they just right. won't listen.
2: So the bottom line is identity politics is inherently dehumanizing. You are exactly not looking at an individual for who they are, for the qualities and, and the, the problems that they are or that they have. You're not looking at them as an individual the second you allow your brain to turn on that circuit and start playing identity politics, you are now in the, you are learning the habit of dehumanizing everybody. And that is exactly the wrong direction that we need to go to create a world that works for everybody, you know? And then, and then, you, but then you have this other side of it that is true. Like I've been really against white men for 12 years, right? Like the white men are the happen to have been the winners of, of a natural evolutionary cycle that is very well described in uh, a book like Guns, Germs, and Steel. So in a book like that, it's described the history of the earth and the history of, of human civilization on earth where when one culture gets access or happens to discover a technology before another culture, not because they're smarter or better genes, nothing like that is ever inferred. But by the mere chance that they happen to to, to discover a technology within a certain culture, they will then start conquering all of the other cultures around them until they are gone. And in this latest cycle for the last, I don't know, couple thousand years, I guess, um, it happens to be white Caucasian men who have been the ones who have had access to this greater technology and who have then conquered every other culture in the world and built, built such an empire around that way of being, around that culture, that it, is, it feels very difficult for anybody that's not in resonance with that cultural way of being to ever feel heard. And I'm one of them, right? And I'm a white guy. I right. do not resonate with the white man culture that has been perpetuated and forced upon this planet, certainly for the last several centuries, right, and probably longer. I don't resonate with that culture, and, but yet playing identity politics, all you see is white man, and you don't know how much I'm on your side. Well, and, and, and that's actually so – go ahead and it's, finish. Wait, it's just one more thing. It's so ironic that we are using racial discrimination to supposedly end racial discrimination. I just don't even, it won't, makes my brain want to explode.
1: Well, it also, it has, again, it, it activates that primitive thinking and y- it literally has the opposite effect. That, that's what Daryl Davis figured out. You can't act like that. It doesn't work. You literally have right. to prove to them through humanizing yourself that racism is ridiculous. And he does it by being great to them. And a lot of activists, I think that they get caught up in being angry. It's very easy to get oppressed people to hate, you know, and the problem is, is that the hate is not what we need. We you know, this is the part about it that, you know, that that scares me is like, for example, these people are openly saying that Martin Luther King was a failure, that Martin Luther King, because he was murdered, is therefore somehow discredited. Okay, well, well, yeah, but he got shot. And I'm like, okay, well, so did Malcolm X. You know who shot Malcolm X and why? Malcolm X was murdered by black people because he opposed, basically, he was part of the Nation of Islam, same racist group I was talking about earlier. And he found out that the leader of their cult, basically, was violating tenets of Islam because he was getting girls pregnant and was not taking care of them. You're allowed to have multiple wives in Islam, but you have to take them as wives and actually take care of them. And so Malcolm X confronted their leader for what he was doing. And he got himself excommunicated and told, you're not allowed to be a Muslim anymore. So Malcolm X took that moment. It was kind of sobering. And he went to Mecca, which is the the homeland, basically, of Islam. And one of the first things he discovered there that shocked him was blue-eyed, blonde-haired Muslims. Because he had been told his whole life that that wasn't possible. And when he talked to one of the clerics there, like, how, why are these people allowed to be here? The guy looked at him like he was nuts. He's like, what are you talking about? You know, he's like, the, the Quran doesn't say anything like that. In fact, um, Islam is one of the few religions that outright says all races are equal, period, under Allah. like as in, And so he comes back to the states and starts telling people that. Appreciate it. So they shot him. Because he was essentially again speaking blasphemy you know against their inquisition you know and that's that's the part about this that bothers me is that i watch kids going to college and i've literally watched it happen in real time there was this very bright girl i used to work with and she was a very reasonable smart person and when i met her You know, she'd say, hey, well, I'm 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 thinking about getting involved in activism. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. You know, I used to be part of Occupy and and we would share stories. And then I I would watch as every few months she would be radicalized a little more and then a little more and then a little more. And, you know, eventually she went from, you know, I'm just going to march because I don't like police brutality to now by the by the time it was all over, she was talking about getting sterilized because she was white or. You know, if she did have a baby, she would only have a baby with a black guy. And none of these. Oh, it, not that I mean, there's nothing wrong with, obviously, I mean, you know, nobody thinks that there's something wrong with, you know, with with race mixing. That's not what's at issue. It's that her it, the level of like fangirl that got developed became what I would call mentally unhealthy. And it also right. got to a point where you fetishize it, you know, and that's where the, that's that's the black supremacy part of it. And because of the fact that the people who are part of that are very quiet initially, you don't get to meet those people until you're pretty deep in the cult. Nobody else ever sees it. You know, I've been playing a clip lately. I've been sharing it on Facebook of this guy and I I can't pronounce his name, but he was a professor of African studies and he's openly calling for the extermination of white people. And he teaches this stuff at, at, universities. And he literally says the problem on the face of the planet is white people. We need to exterminate white people Anybody wants to see the clip, he actually said it publicly on C-SPAN, and it used to be on YouTube, and it mysteriously disappeared, and it also got deleted from C-SPAN after many years. And there are clips of very similar things that come out you know, where they basically have suggested that it literally starts to sound like master race propaganda, complete yeah. with well, we are superior. Like melanin is the what – what did this guy say? Melanin is the – the humanizing chemical, the more melanin you have, the more human you have. And then they'll start mm. to tell you that white people are descended from cro and are actually a different and inferior species. Like, you know, they, they don't recognize that this is exactly the kind of shit the Nazis came up with to suggest that the Aryans were superior, you know, and yeah. that's, that's at the core of all of this. When you talk about agendas, I think that there definitely are, But I think that some of these people literally like they're they're not interested in equality. They want what they perceive to be revenge. And this is what I have to say comes at the core of all of this. Even when we acknowledge what you're talking about with white people, I would take it a step further. I don't because at the end of the day, what what has been identified as systemic racism in many instances, I would say, is actually systemic classism in that the wealthy of a given area will collude to stay wealthy and to keep other people poor. And that this happens in countries where there's no white people. It happens in countries where there's no black people. It happens in Southeast Asia. It happens in Mexico. It happens in South America. And the race part about it is just a tool. You know, when I wanted to teach my children about racism, I actually had them watch the film Gangs of New York. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it has Leonardo DiCaprio and Daniel Day-Lewis in it. And there's racism in that film. There's also zero black people in that film. It's about the early colonial days where there were people. That's one of the things I I chuckled to myself when you brought up the people who feel they've lived here longer was that one of the factions called themselves the natives. They were all European, but they had been living there longer. And they were speaking in the derogatory about the Irish, who are basically the Mexicans of the story, you know, because they were showing up on boats to, to escape the potato famine and taking jobs you know that's how they looked at it and it was basically about gangs fighting over the jobs and the better places to live you know in the early colonies you know and the reason that i had them see that is that there's plenty of racism in that film but there's no people of color in that film that's where i think we we come into a problem is that it's okay we can say for example I, i understand the idea of the power dynamic being important to the conversation you know, but you can say that there are racists who are powerful and, you know, and, and signify that perhaps those racists are more dangerous at a given moment. But that doesn't mean that the other people who are racists who are not powerful at the moment are not racist. That's the issue is that they create this power dynamic circumstance that basically gets anybody of color is off the hook, no matter how bigoted they are, no matter how racist they are, you know, well, they're not actually racist. You see, we and a group of like fringe sociology professors are writing textbooks right now to change the definition of the word racism so that so as to say that only people with power to do something about their racist beliefs are racist. And that's right. bullshit. It's that's also ridiculous. Yeah. When it, we were it, kids, it, you
2: know, we were taught we were taught You remember in school we were ta- we, we were taught about stereotyping and discrimination and prejudice based on your the minds habits an intelligent mind discriminates. An intelligent mind stereotypes. When you see patterns, you start to um, you start to assume that that pattern is going to be true all the time. And what we were taught as kids—I don't know if you were, but I was—in school in a healthy society that we used to live in 30 or 40 years ago, where—or much more healthier ones, I should say, right? We would say that you can't do that to people. You can do that with things like you know something abstract or. Like, you know, uh, you can you can your mind can can notice things and and get into habits, but don't do that to people because people are very complex and every human is unique. And don't do that. It's not a good idea. That is the core of racism is that habit right there is letting yourself fall into that that pattern of recognizing that. Well, I've seen a lot of uh, Mexicans act this way. Therefore, anytime I see that anyone's a Mexican, I'm going to assume they're that way. Bad, wrong. That's discrimination. That is a bad – stop doing that, right? It was very simple and clear. right? And now they have muddied the waters with this idea that it has something to do with power and that you cannot be racist if you're black or, you know, and all this ridiculous stuff. Or that it's reverse racism, right? Like, no, it's just racism. It's just discrimination. It's just a bad habit. It's just a bad way to be – you are a bad person if you do that. It's very simple. It's bad moral conduct. It is socially – disruptive and destructive
1: at the core at the core of what this was supposed to be about was that you cannot hold people accountable for things that they have nothing to do with that's about it's all supposed to be about you're not at fault because somebody who looks similar to you or shares some genetic markers did something that's supposed to be at the core of all of this is that racism is wrong because people need to be judged as individuals not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. You know, you, people might remember who said that. The problem is yes. that that's what Martin Luther King said, and it's not being genetically – it's not being generically applied across the board. It's only being applied to certain groups, and what ends up happening is that, again, it's not just that it's unfair. It's not just that it's immoral. That's actually not what bothers me. It's that it's not fucking effective. It doesn't work. So it it, some, it actually yeah. makes the problem worse. Right. You know, right. and that's, well, that's why like by bad social behavior. That's what
2: that's the definition of bad social behavior. Right. Does it well, create right. cohesion and unity and moving things forward? Or does, it, does it create war and destruction and moving things backwards?
1: And that's, you know, so something that I, I wanted to talk about this part about it for the zeitgeist people who listen, is that when this stuff was starting, I want to say back in like 2016 ish, um, where it started to get, find its way into, into parts of the zeitgeist movement. It was funny to me because both Jacques Fresco and Peter Joseph had openly spoken that they did not support um, activism that is geared towards one specific group's struggle, no matter what group that was. And initially I had considered myself kind of an you know, a- anti-racist, no, anti-sexist. You know, but when so I went down like to identity politics, right? Just that well, simple. yeah, but at, and let me explain it just for sort of people get it. It's like I, I went down and I asked Jacques. I'm like, why do you feel this way? He's like, well, Neil, this is a pattern I've seen over and over again because he was like over 100 years old. He says what ends up happening is people get involved in that sort of thing and they're very well intentioned. But before long, you start to find that they're pushing for that group. Initially, is about wanting to bring them up with everybody else. But once you're there, you don't feel compelled to stop, and you just keep pushing. And then eventually, you're willing to do whatever it takes to push your group forward, even at the detriment of other groups. You don't realize that you've reached the point that you've become what you oppose. And it becomes very irrational. He's like almost like religion. And, and at the time, I didn't understand this. That's why I brought up the, the whole the crusade and the inquisitors and all that because everything this man told me was true because that's exactly what happens. You, you get fixated only on your group and it becomes part of your identity to be oppressed. It becomes part of your identity to be the victim. It becomes part of your identity to be fighting something. And that's where you run into the That's why I brought up the example of inquisition, because in, during the inquisition, they'd go into a town and if there was no evidence of the devil, they'll find it, even if they got to make it, you know, right. and that's, You know, for example, there was a. It's hard to find this video now. A lot of this stuff keeps getting deleted, but there was a news story about this. There was a girl who started a Black Lives Matter chapter on a college campus, and she just wasn't getting very much attention, presumably because there really wasn't that many racial problems in that particular area. So she was so dissatisfied that she literally created a false Twitter account to threaten herself, essentially, as a racist. If anybody shows up to this thing, we're going to shoot them, et cetera, et cetera she created the account she got caught and she is actually doing jail time for it because she created an incident basically because you know all of a sudden everybody's freaking out about it you know um but the point is, is she was so desperate because they asked her why would you do this She's like well i just wanted more attention for my black lives matter chapter it's like okay but you just you're so in in need of this you know this enemy to fight that you're just going to create it you know it's going to become you're going to create it out of thin air to manipulate people,
2: you know, right. and deal. So, go ahead. I mean, let's, I mean, it feels so important to presence that there are rooms full of people around the world on social media accounts. It's not one person do it playing both sides, but there are people around the world being paid to do exactly that, to act like white racist, to act like, and, and let's, we, it's just so important, you know, I think, To keep presencing that fact that we are dealing with the systematic way of the powerful people in this world, the ones with money and control, to divide and conquer using these very simple techniques. And that every time that we judge others without knowing them, based on the color of their skin, based on any one thing they say, we're falling victim to this divide and conquer technique. And it, if, if, like, if there's anything I hope that we get across, and, and I hope that you and I agree, that this is so critical to understand. You know, if you, don't, if you have not developed a personal relationship with somebody, please don't judge them. Please don't make assumptions about who they are or what they are, even if you saw them, um, you know, say one thing that rubs you wrong. You know, develop a relationship, get to know them. That's where, that's how we can, that's the, in my mind, that's the one thing we can do to steer the ship a different direction
1: well that's absolutely critical i agree with you wholeheartedly and i think that unfortunately it's hard to get through to people that they're being duped they you know there's been a few key videos like one of them was from this guy um i think his last name was sons but he has his own youtube channel and he was he had gotten out of the black lives matter movement sometime around 2015 and he said it was because he started to notice these people showing up that didn't necessarily have his people's best interests at heart. You know, um, he pointed out groups like Antifa. He was talking about, you know, some of the even some of the black activists he interacted with clearly had an agenda, you know, that was outside of what they wanted. He also said that a great deal of them were just Democrats, you know, that were trying to make sure that all these people showed up to vote Democrat. You know, that there were all these people that were getting involved that really didn't necessarily care about the message. They were just using the movement as, you know, a tool for certain, you know, um, purposes. And that guy, as a result, just kind of stepped away and said, I can't do this anymore. He's like, I'm not going to be involved in this anymore. You know, and I, I think that one of the epiphanies that I came to. Recently, because I have a friend who's, um, you know, a black friend of mine who was basically openly talking very similar to the way I am about this issue. Like, he's like, you can't just go spitting on white people. He's like, it doesn't work. It's not, you know. And so anyway, I got involved in that conversation with him. And, you know, I kind of came to an epiphany because we were discussing Daryl Davis and the, the strategy of humanizing the people that racists hate and how that just annihilates racism. And I was like, you know, these people are victims. Racists are victims of a cult. Like, you know, it it really is a cult. Like, they've been brought in to a way of thinking that is destructive, that is, that is basically, it, it hurts you as a person, you know, and he pointed out that it's just as bad if a person of color gets drawn into it, because now you have a new enemy, you know, that you can just hate all the time. And if you can't find any reason to be angry that day at your enemy, then you'll go look for one. You know, it literally can just take over your life. And 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 once Mm -hmm. it does, you're always angry. You're never happy. You're always looking around the corner for an enemy at every moment. And it just creates toxic situations. And it creates toxic people. And it ruins peaceful movements. I mean, if we're getting to the point, that, that was the other thing I think is that they're leading people into situations that are dangerous and that's one of the things that that black activists I was just talking about pointed out is that you know they're trying to suggest that we do violent things and that actually was, brings me back to the thing about the Patriot Act was that one of the things that popped into my mind was an episode you and I did long ago with Brian where we're reading the Patriot Act and I was like guys I don't know I, I know a lot of you are new to this but as soon as you start talking like this, you've activated the Patriot Act for yourself. And once you get that, yeah. once you've moved on that, well, now you're an enemy combatant. So that means that we can move on to the Military Commissions Act. And now that you're an enemy combatant, now we're going to strip you of your citizenship and we're going to start putting you in secret prisons. And yeah. I'm like, you guys don't recognize that you are doing exactly what they want. Go ahead. Why don't yeah. you make civil rights activism a terrorist ideology? How how will right. that work out?
2: Which is kind of exactly you know, what anti seems to be the road they seem to be going down here. It's so fascinating. And um, Neil, I have about 15 more minutes, and um, mm-hmm. I wanted to wanted to direct the conversation a little bit if I could. Um, sure. You said something about, um, you know, anger, the anger that, that's happening in the streets. You were just talking about it now, too. And, and my journey in the last 12 years is very much, you know, when we, when we were doing that radio show back in the days, I was so angry, you know. Um, I was so angry. I was a victim of oppression, you know, as a middle class mm-hmm. white guy with all this absolutely victimized and oppressed, And and as long as I was in that victim stage, as long as it was in that anger stage, I was not able to do anything really. We were not able to attract and create a a mass movement. We were not. I mean, we yeah. Look, we got ten thousand people to show up in Washington D.C. That was that was awesome, but like in the in the scheme of things, it did not really bring society or culture forward in a positive way because it was coming from anger. And you know the the journey that I can tell of my you know, the story I can tell of my own journey is that I learned when the anger started to subside, when I realized this anger isn't getting me anywhere, I learned that every bit of energy I put in to making myself out to be a victim, I was actually giving my power away to those who I was determined were victimizing me. And that is just a crucial, crucial lesson that that I hope someone, somewhere, some way because it can't be a white guy it doesn't seem like, but somebody can come to these to these Black Lives Matter movements or the ones that are really, really stooped in the most anger and Antifa and, and whoever, whether it's whether you label yourself or not, if you are in anger and victim, there's a path to transcendence. There is a path to reclaiming your power and not being a victim anymore. And, that, and really to understanding that you're giving your power away every time you use – you make yourself a victim. You're literally giving your power away to those who would victimize you, and you are giving them that power over you. And the moment that you change your mindset, they no longer have the power over you. It's really – I mean, if I've learned one thing over 12 years of activism – and, you know, even 2014, I was – Albuquerque was, was before – Ferguson, you remember that? Were we, were we talking at yeah. that time? Uh, yeah, we, we talked. Albuquerque, Albuquerque was the very first city to blow up over police brutality. And I was right there. We took over city council, man. We shut down I-25. We were in the streets. It was It was an awesome movement. There was a lot of anger. And nothing has changed in Albuquerque to this day. Nothing has changed. This is six years later now. None of the things that have happened out of that are making any difference. There's just, it's just various forms of political mess, and now the feds are involved, and, and the cops are still killing people in the streets on a regular basis. Nothing's changed, you know? And, and I, I, and I want to say that it's just the anger-based movements are not it, you know? It'll just like you're saying with your example of, of the guy converting Ku Klux Klan, it's, we are all human. That is the one thing we have in common, you Neil. Know? We are all humans. And in some ways, every single one of us has has privileges that other humans have not had. Black people growing up in the ghettos of the United States that are mad at their state of of affairs and the the way they are repressed and oppressed and and racist uh, against, you know, they are far more privileged to be living in the United States where at least there is not tribal mass slaughters that's happening in. I mean, Africa. it's not
1: Somalia. It's not Somalia. Right, it's not you Somalia, know, a place without right? police, I might add.
2: <laughs> so that is the, right, that is a way where even black, you know, underclass black Americans can recognize that they are privileged and any and and all of us ha- have privileges that others don't have. And all of us are victims if we allow ourselves to be right. Whether whether that victimhood is real, imagined or self-induced. Every one of us has ways that we are victims and every one of us has ways that we are privileged. And I think the power of acknowledging both of those things and truly taking a look at our lives and our paths and who we are through the lens of the ways we've been victimized and the ways that we have privileges that others do not is a really, really powerful growth tool. And that is something that is a way that we all recognize how much we have in common because we've all had those experiences We've all been privileged in ways that others haven't if we look at it, and we have
1: all been victimized in ways. Well, I think that's been part of my problem with it is that they just kind of want to broad brush and make assumptions. You know, that's about how privileged somebody is or that they are automatically at the same level of privilege or should be treated. Like, for example, the the poor white single mom living in a trailer, you know, working as a waitress, she's not your fucking oppressor. You know, like, you know, she's not the yeah, one, like you know, and it, treating it, her like she's fucking George Soros or the Koch brother. That's just ridiculous. And, it is, and it at the is. end of the day, it has more of that detrimental effect. Those are the people Definitely. who need to be fucking uniting. You, you want to scare yeah. the shit out this of the establishment. Just, just, yeah. Get the trailer park ghetto to unite with the inner city ghetto Amen, and, my and you'll have something to fucking kill the establishment. That's if, why if, they if don't want us one, to do it.
2: If there is one form of oppression that I would I would like dip my toe in, right, and, and admit that 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 we can we'll take on just a little bit of victim energy. It is around. It is classism, Neil. It is classism, and man, I have been a long-haired hippie dude, and let me tell you something. You do not want to get pulled over by cops as a long-haired hippie dude. You're nope. not. And and for me for for for. For black people to be mad at me as if I don't understand, it's just like – I mean, yeah, I'm not black. So maybe it would be worse if I'm black. I don't know because I'm not. But what I can tell you for sure is that classism. And if we like – the like there's no funding for government – coming from the government for people to do research on classism. Right, Because if we took all these same statistics we do, how many people are killed by cops, how many people are arrested by cops, how many people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and all the things that we are blaming on race right now. And we changed all of those studies and did all of the same studies around classism, around appearance. It's appearance of classism is what it is. Things like long hair, unkempt, what kind of car do you drive? All of these indicators of class is when the system, the systematic white man oppressive system will come down on you, right, regardless of what color your skin is, is if you appear to be of a lower class. And and because people of a higher class, if you're perceived to understand yourself as a higher class, you are allowed to shit all over somebody that's lower than you. It is socially acceptable. The cops will accept it. The courts will accept it. Society as a whole will accept it. And that is why these Wall Street fucks, who are the biggest criminals, on the planet doing more destruction and doing more harm to all people on the planet, the wall street people, and they're even pretty innocent. We're talking about, let's go up higher up the chain, man. These are, these are people who meet in secret and whose names you don't know. These are the, really the ones that you've got to be worried about. These are the ones that, that are dehumanizing the rest of us and see most of the rest of the population of the, of the mass of humanity as useless eaters. and, If you don't see the patterns in COVID and what's happening and the divide and conquer tactics and the road we're being led down to destroy ourselves, to destroy our communities, to destroy the cultures and the positive, happy families um, under the guise of this, you know, it's, it's, it's scary if people can't see what's happening, that we are being systematically dumbed down. I mean, you know, I'll go so far into the conspiracy theory aspect of this stuff to say just look at the Georgia Guidestones if you want to know what they're up to. They want a class of a couple of hundred thousand people to rule this planet. And it acts, they're, they're, they're environmentalists. They love the planet. They just hate people. They hate themselves, and they hate the rest of humanity. And they want – I think the number is written in stone literally. 500 million slave class of people that are just smart enough to run the machines, healthy enough to live fairly productive lives and then croak at the age of 40 or 50. Literally, I mean, it's it's like you don't have to go far to discover these plans. And that, if we want to fight against anything, that's what we need to be uniting against. That's where we need to, like, you know – dip our toe in just a tiny bit of allowance for the way we're being victimized here and then transcend that victimization and realize that we have the power to end this and rant.
1: I think that one more thing that I'd want to point out because you brought up the the white system. Um, I honestly feel that because at the end of the day, that system Okay, I guess I'd put it like this. Here's what's different. So on the right, they'll accept a Candace Owens, a Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice, Ben Carson. You know, I don't think that they actually really give a shit about the racial part of it. They use that to divide and conquer us. If you've proven yourself to be an ally to the wealthy and the affluent, they don't care what color you are. And the Bilderberg meetings have people of color the Trilateral Commission has people of color. And, and we tend to forget that um, slavery, you know, that they never want to talk about this, but slaves were taken by African kings in war and then sold. Native Americans yeah. also did this. And people don't tend to talk about this, but, and I'm Native American, I might add, Native Americans had slaves too. It doesn't mean that, you know, it's not okay. Obviously, it's, you know, there's nothing good about it. It's not acceptable. But we we tend to only we we tend to basically allow ourselves to push it in that perspective of only thinking of it that way. And when you consider that the majority of people happen to be white, they need to have a separation between the people of color and the people that are white, because as soon as the poor white people and the poor black people and the poor Hispanic people and the poor Native American people all figure out who's really pulling the fucking strings. They're dead as fried, but, but nobody Amen. talks about the fact that they come from all of these groups. It is true that That's there true. is somewhat of a pattern. I'm not saying that there isn't, but here's well, yeah, where no, we run into a problem.
2: I think it's a culture that originated as, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to call it out, white man culture. And this is the same, um, this is the same way that the word wachichu, wachichu, I hope I'm saying that right, is, has been interpreted to mean white man. But what it actually means is he who takes the fat, it means he who is greedy he who takes more than than his fair share and and it has been attributed to being white man and so we'll see Washichu culture in all different we'll see there's so, like women have like we have we have seen women rise to power in Washichu white man culture we have seen mm-hmm. black people rise to power we have seen i don't know if i've seen too many, too many native americans but i'm i'm sure they exist I'm, i know they exist the chiefs of some of these Yeah they run are casinos yeah yeah exactly
1: the yeah no there's corrupt people among the native americans too it just doesn't get absolutely talked about. so that's
2: the difference it's not about race it's not about gender it's not about anything it is it is do you subscribe to this dehumanizing belief system of identity politics is one example but what are do you allow yourself to go there where you can see the swath of humanity something separate from yourself and that is a mindset that is poisonous. And that is a mindset that is affecting all of us. And that these, what appear to be grassroots movement based on true wounding of racism in the culture of America. It is
1: affecting in that way. It, absolutely. And I, I go back to the Zeitgeist Movement example for a moment because, because of the lack of identity politics in the beginning, we had chapters that were made up entirely of people of color because it was, an, it was a global movement. And we got so much done about spreading awareness because of the fact that we were able to unify and that we weren't dividing ourselves up by race or culture. We had chapters that were basically geared towards specific states because people will obviously were in a better position. But, I mean, one of the most beautiful things that I remember was that I wanted to do a show about um, Palestine and Israel And I couldn't actually get Palestinians and Israelis to come on my show to talk about that, that were from the Zeitgeist movement. And it wasn't because they didn't care at all. And it also was not because they opposed each other. It's because they secretly worked together and that they couldn't let anybody know that because both sides would have would have lost interest in their message. Now, drink that in for a second. You can have an activist movement where palestinians and israelis are working together towards global unification in a way that is better better for everybody you know into destroying like oppressive economic systems you can do all of that but our identity politics become a real problem to that and that's something else that that the communists don't take into account is that when stalin killed all those people It actually wasn't a failure of sharing of resources. They identified the farmers as being part of the the class that needed to be eliminated. So they killed all of the people who had advanced agricultural knowledge through identity politics. And that's what created the famine. Now, quite ironically, in South Africa, they're throwing all of the white farmers off their land or murdering them. And now they're left with all the land, but nobody knows how to farm properly. So they're creating famines in their own country and are even begging white farmers to come back, which honestly, the solution just needs to be they need to learn how to do agriculture and be able to cultivate their own land. But the point is, is that it's the same problem when you basically make the identity of somebody everything, you know, and that's why I said that, you know, it, we, basically what I was trying to get at is that I'm sure that there's privilege in this world. We, we can't assess everybody based on one blanket term of privilege. You know, and that's why I said, for example, especially when we were having protests going on at like Berkeley and Yale, you know, I was like, my kids will never have the money to go to a place like that. I I don't care what color you are. There's no way in hell you are less privileged than my kids right now, who I'll be lucky if they can get money for college at all. You're going to Yale and you're telling us about your oppression. And it's like, it doesn't mean I'm sure that you could still get pulled over and have problems. I'm not saying there won't be any racism in your life, but that's not the same level of problem as somebody who's having that issue living in the inner city and getting pulled over and shot. They're not even the same, like, that's not even close to being the same level, you know. So I know that you said you had to go, which is unfortunate because we didn't even get to get into the police stuff. You know, maybe I'll have you on again to talk about that. But um, Yeah, let's definitely
2: do it again soon. You know, and but you know I wanted to to leave with a message of unity, sure, you know, and that um, when we can come to the realization that you and I have like done this little arc of arc of progress to understand, we can understand that it's about unifying building relationships as people and from those relationships start to. Um, and from our own sovereign power and our own realization of our individual power and our own understanding of how much we can do together when we come together in sovereign unity, we, from our own sovereign power, come together in shared purpose. That is where we can transform this planet. And, and, you know, I'm a tech guy, you know, we didn't even get into any of that. And as a tech guy since, since 1980, since I started programming and and my all my, my years of activism and everything I've come to learn in the world, protocol that I call protocol.love, and I would love to you know, um, have your audience um, engage with that if they feel called to. This is a means by which people can come together in shared sovereign unity with common purpose and find themselves empowered, find themselves creating wealth together, find themselves creating true um, ethical ways of caring for all life on this planet as we progress together in, in, making, in, in materialistic pursuits, right? Because we're all not going to become monks. We're all not going to throw off materialism and, and go and sit and meditate every day and chop wood and carry water. We can be engaged in materialistic pursuits in a way that is unifying to people, in a way that is caring and, and relationship deepening with humans together and ultimately with the planet and all life on it. And love lays out some basic formulas to where by embracing vulnerable transparency in the things that we do together as groups, that that is actually one of the major keys to solving the problems of this world. Because too much is happening in secret, and in, within secrecy, corruption happens. Corruption leads to centralization of power. Centralization of power leads to greater corruption. And that is the pattern we've seen playing out on the planet for so long. And so that's my proposal is how we can see a change occur and I really enjoyed this conversation, Neil, so I'd love to do it again if you want to.
1: No, that'd be great. I just, you know, with the things going on, I've been home a lot, and I I've needed to rant about this, but, you know, I have no idea what kind of reception I'll get. I just kind of came to a point where I realized that I'm not going to hide how I feel anymore, and anybody who doesn't like that is fine, but that's, this isn't even about being angry about it anymore. That was one of the epiphanies that I had, because, you know, the, the point I'd want to leave on is that I used to remember back in 2016 when things were heating up racially again, my kids and I usually went to a boxing gym every single day. And boxing gyms are frequently some of the most diverse places you've ever been. And in fact, we had a Palestinian and a Jew. We also had Blacks. We also had Hispanics. We also had you know, Arabs of different types. Literally, nobody ever discussed the race of the people involved. And yeah. when my kids grew up, They had, you know, essentially siblings that were black, Arabic, you know, they they weren't really, but they were, you know, and when I, and they, they, I didn't even really talk to them about racism. And then one day they heard me talking about it on the radio and they said, dad, what's, what's this about? And when I explained it to them, they said, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like to them, it it wasn't even that they were angry about it. They were like, is that, stupid. Who does that? It you know, like make they were sense. just. It makes no sense.
2: It's like you have right. to twist the mind into dehumanizing your fellow humans. It takes this intellectual leap of nonsense to do that, and it's destructive. And and it's like it, it really doesn't have to be much more complicated than that. <laughs> Love your fellow man. Look at each human in the eye and find out who they are, and find out what well, you have in common.
1: Well, brother. Well, Thank no, I, I get you just to let me finish was just to say that th- what would happen is then I would have these conversations about activism and it would pollute my mind. And then I would go back to the boxing gym. And then suddenly everybody's race was incredibly obvious when it wasn't right. before, which yeah. one of those states of mind is superior, because I don't want to think about my friends, Reggie and Jasmine and, you know, you know, Sager, you know, like the different people that I, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in their races. They're, they're human beings, and so am I. I don't want that shit infecting my head. Like that, it's like, get that hateful, hateful shit out of my head. You know, and what ended yeah. up happening, in that, you know, to finish up with that conversation I was telling you about with the, the black activist that I was discussing positively with on his Facebook, was when I had that epiphany about racists being brought into a cult, I suddenly had this beautiful feeling of I just let go of all of my anger. And I was just like, I- I'm not angry about this. And you know what? I don't have room in my heart for that. I'm sorry, man. I, I can't help you be angry about race. I'm not-, I'm not interested in that. And, I, you know, and me and him were like, we should go to these protests together wearing I hate hate shirts. <laughs> like, <laughs> I hate hate. I hate to hate, start hate that up. and I
2: love love.
1: Right. It just to literally yeah. say, dude, I I'm sorry. I just, I don't, I can't, I can't go along with that. I'm not going to help you be angry. I, I, I really don't want to do that. I, I have no place for that in my soul. You know, mm. and you know, and that's, you know, and that's, that was a really unusual feeling for me because I'm not, you know, I, I'm not a pacifist by any stretch of the imagination, but at the same time, that Prince, I want to say is you something he, he does a video called I am not black and you are not white. It's like, there's mm. this gorgeous, like, you know, video about, you know, like different people and how they're just being labeled. And, you know, like your race is you know, like, just the color of your car. You don't judge somebody by the car they're driving, you know, and your body is just your car. You know, anyway, I'll get into that later. Cause we got to go. But the point is, is that, you know, at the end of the day, I, I really understood what Martin Luther King meant about love and it all played into what I said about Daryl Davis you know, because those Ku Klux Klan members eventually literally came to love him. He even got invited to their weddings. You know, and, and in some cases this was going on when these people still had not been able to pull themselves out of those cults. Like, they, they, they were, that's the situation that created the death of racism in their souls, was that there was this man that they cared about a lot, that they knew that cared about them, and that therefore racism was stupid. So, thanks Beautiful. again, Ray. Um, Let's yeah, talk man. about thanks the cop thing me. next time. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was, it was great do to it. talk to and, you. Uh, yeah, protocol.love, that's a URL. So just type it in. And uh, thanks, Neil. I'll talk, I'll talk to you, you and your audience again soon.
1: All right. Thanks, Ray.
2: Bye-bye. All
1: right, everybody. Thank you for tuning into this episode of uh, V Radio. Um, if this is your first time listening, you could consider checking out my archives where I've had uh, senators, congressmen, activists, documentary filmmakers, you know, to discuss issues of current events at that time going all the way back to 2008. Uh, There is a Patreon for my show. There's a Facebook, you know, um, you guys can decide whatever you want as far as to whether or not you want to support the show. I have no idea how this show is going to be received. I just don't care anymore. Um, I'm going to tell my truth. I'm going to do my best to try to fight for the real truth. And I'm going to do my best to try to bring to the attention of people that they're being manipulated by people who have an agenda that is not about love. It's not about unity. And I hope that people hear about it. I hope it resonates because I just, I, one of the things that drove me away for a while to the point where I couldn't even log into my activist account on Facebook was that people are now getting swept into this, this storm. And once you're in it, it's so hard to, to realize where you're really at, you know, and The the inquisition of activism to where activism, which is supposed to be about creating unity, creating peace, instead becomes a weapon to be used against each other where we decide who is and is not canceled, where we decide who can and cannot speak on a given issue solely based upon their identity, you know, I I can't be part of that. I'm not going to be part of that. I'm not going to fight it angrily as much as I can help it. You know, I am going to protect myself. I am going to protect my family. But I also am tired of this shit polluting the beautiful relationships that I have with people of color in my life, and I'm, I'm done with it. I, I can't be part of that. So I hope that you guys understood what the point of this broadcast was, and hopefully next time we will discuss the issue of defunding the police, which um, or abolishing as the case may be. I've heard a lot of different versions of that. It keeps being brought up in different ways. And some people say, well, no, we really mean this. And some people say, no, we really mean that as if they're unifiedly speaking for that perspective. The problem is, is I'm hearing a lot of different versions of it. And some of them I don't think are very well thought out. I'll get into that into another episode. And to be clear, I eventually actually advocate for humanity to evolve past the need for police, too. But I also recognize that in our current paradigm, there's going to have to be a lot of major cultural shifts before that can happen because the ghettos are not peaceful utopias. Uh, There are things that we can do to fix that, but you got to do that first. Thanks again for tuning in everybody. I hope you liked it. Take care.